Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We are dealing with winter where I live this week. Maybe not where you live, but it's uh, causing me problems. Back when I was a kid, winter didn't start until after Christmas. Um, but in this newfangled stuff, winter starts earlier, I guess. Um, I'm making a joke. Don't worry. Uh, joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, our Warriors man. But, you know, he's really just a man about the NBA. He has opinions on everything, and that's why we love him, is Nick Friedel. Nick, how's your road trip going? <laughs> it has been always eventful with these guys. One day at a time, there's always something going on, but uh, I think they're on the right track, and they're going to get rolling soon here, guys. And joining us from San Antonio is Michael Corleone Wright. Michael, I assume you were at that Blazers uh, Spurs game last night. Spurs put up one thirty and got a much needed win. How was that uh, evening? It was actually strange, Brian, because I'm not used to seeing winning basketball these days in San Antonio. So I know they're under five hundred. Yeah, yeah, strange, but a good strange. Um, now I'm not with the Spurs every day. Um. It seems to me that is it just uh, quotes that have sort of filtered out and become news with Pop lately, or is he been a little bit different because it's been a tougher season? It feels like he's been a little cranky to me, but I, I don't know for sure. I I yield to you. I don't know about cranky, but I will say that some of the team struggles has sort of taken a toll on him. I know in Milwaukee the other night, you know, I wasn't in Milwaukee, but. You know, we all have our little birds that we talk to, and someone was telling me that, you know, after the game, like, he was standing outside of the bus just staring at the ground for, like, five minutes straight. And so, you know, you can tell that it's taking a toll on him, and for him, I think it's more frustration because, you know, he's used to just saying, guys, go out here and do this, and then it's executed. But now... Like, they can't do the simplest things, and it's, you know, it's it's a product of having, like, nine new faces on the roster. And so that continuity that they once had is gone, man. Yeah, you know, um, and I don't want to talk too much about the Spurs here, but I will say that I actually thought this team at the start of the season might have more wins than last year. I think you and I discussed that. Now, that was before DeJounte Murray went down, and, of course, that was a blow. I mean, that's their third best player in my opinion I mean maybe it's arguable um, and I thought okay that's going to cost them I did not think that they would struggle like this I knew they would not be as good defensively because they swapped out one of the best uh, defenders in the league although he didn't play last year for a guy who is not known as a good defender uh, so I'm not surprised that they're struggling defensively but I am surprised that they're having nights where they're getting pounded and giving up 125 points because the one thing about Pop over the years is the system is the system. And, you know, and, and there, have been, there have been Spurs players who have been maligned when they've left the Spurs because they haven't been as good. I don't need to go over the whole history here, but maybe it's hard to work the system, as you said, when there's so many new faces. Absolutely, that's the case. I mean, and like you said, especially it's a, it's a, you see it on defense. I mean, you'll see guys standing at the corner for like, three four seconds before anybody even comes out to to guard them 
And, you know, those are mental busts, you know, problems with the rotations and things like that. And, you know, again, you, you don't have that continuity when you lose Timmy and Manu and Tony and, you know, Kawhi and Danny Green, too. I mean, because those are two guys that were really embedded in, in part of the building the culture out here. And so you've got all these new faces and, you know, what they've done. Uh, they had their first practice Saturday since like November 8th. And what they ended up doing was going in and just simplifying everything, just stripping everything down. I mean, offensively and defensively. And you saw how the the Spurs were able to play against a pretty good uh, Timberwolves, (laughs) against a pretty good Blazers squad. You know, even though Dame went nuts, they still did a good job for the most part defensively. And that was a product of them just stripping everything down. Well, sometimes in the NBA you have to rebuild, and for the Spurs it happens every once every 20 years, so that's life. Um, speaking of Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, uh, Nick, you were at that game in Toronto. Uh, I know it's been a few days now, but <laughs> it's one of the games of the year in the NBA. The uh, Raptors winning that game in overtime. Um, I don't need to go point by point here, but... What were you, you know, what were your, you know, even now it's been a few days, but what was your takeaways from that night? The biggest one, V, is the only team that can beat the Warriors, a healthy Warriors team, are the Warriors themselves. There is no team, as far as I'm concerned, that's going to knock this, this Warriors group off in a seven game series. This got a lot of hype prior to. Thursday night in Toronto because Kawhi had come out after the Warriors game last week and said, hey, you know, they've got something really special in Toronto right now, uh, and who knows, maybe it's a preview of June. And, oh, man, we get to Toronto, and everybody's asking, you know, do you think this can be a a finals preview? (laughs) And then Kevin Durant put on one of the better performances that I've seen in a long time offensively. And that shot he hit from the corner to – uh, send the game into overtime over Kawhi, uh, and then to end up with 51. Uh, I don't want to say, guys, that the Warriors were happy after that game because they lost, and they're all competitive, and it's a competitive group. But you walked in that locker room, and they knew. <laughs> they knew that everything was going to be fine. Uh, the cloud that had been hovering over that team for the last couple of weeks, that's gone. Guys were laughing and joking, including... Katie and Draymond, uh, they knew that Curry was coming back and ha- has now come back uh, after the groin injury that, that put him out for almost a month. So I think that game did as much for the Warriors uh, as it did uh, for the Raptors, who won. Uh, I think it was a reminder not only to Toronto, but the rest of the league. Hey, guess what? <laughs> when we get healthy, uh, that's a wrap. Uh, I just do not see it. I think the Warriors have uh, that proverbial button that they can hit uh, and they know what games matter most and they know that they're playing for the postseason and while uh, it would be way too much of a stretch to say they don't care about the regular season they know what is most important and that's winning in the postseason and winning another title so to see how they performed without Steph without Draymond I mean who knows exactly when DeMarcus Cousins will come back, but Steve Kerr seemed optimistic uh, with his progress. I think that this team is going to be in the right spot, and I think they're going to hit their stride real soon and rattle off a bunch of wins. And then they lost to Detroit. <laughs> um, 
Um, no, so, in November or, or, or beginning know, of December. I'm, I know. I know what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. I felt that, um, um, by the way, it was a <laughs> that shot that he got off in the corner. Don't you think Kawhi defended that shot well? Yes. I mean, it was a, he was all over him. Right. That's what I thought. Um, and, um, but anyway, um, I felt like, okay, so I wasn't around for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's prime. <clears throat> I, rem- I did watch him play at the end of his career, so I can say that I remember that. Now, when you talk to guys who've been around for a while, they will say that the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot is the most indefensible shot in the history of the NBA. And then they'll go into a speech about how they can't believe nobody else you know, no other big men go to it and try to perfect it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and obviously, he, you know, he had, he's the highest scorer in the history of the league, played for 20 years. So I, you know, admitting that I can't 100% relate to that, I will say that the, um, Kevin Durant jump shot is the most indefensible shot in the NBA of the last 25 years since I've been aware of what's going on in the league. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I, that's an indefensible position. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can't say for sure, but the man is seven foot tall. He jumps and he puts the ball way up high over his head. And so he's, he's got the ball up there like eight some odd feet when he releases it. And he is just indefensible. When he misses it, he misses it because uh, it's just off. It's not because he can be gotten to. And I just think, um, you know, it's been proven a thousand times over, but that again was one of those situations. Kawhi is all over him. He's, he's running back to the three point line. He's running backwards and Kawhi's hand is in his face. He, he ended up being a little bit off to the side, but he's, he can't foul. Um, he did everything he possibly could to affect that shot. We're talking about a guy with one of the largest, um, um, one of the largest uh, wingspans in the league, and he just wasn't able to affect it. So just, you know, beyond the whole performance, I think that shot is a reminder of why Durant, I think, has a chance to, to catch and pass Abdul-Jabbar in terms of scoring. Uh, Michael, you've seen uh, uh, Kawhi play a lot of big games. Uh, I felt he came out in that game with a point to prove, and I felt he played fabulously. What do you think? I did, too. And, you know, at the end of that game, there was – I can't remember who it was he was defending near the top of the three-point line, but he got his hand in there, and he was waiting on Danny. Yeah, he was waiting on Danny to get that ball, and just they were about to go on the break. But that was like vintage Kawhi, you know, how he can get his hands in there really quick. And, you know, I'm not going to say that Kawhi is all the way back, but he looked damn close to it, man. And the thing is, you know, Nick, I've got to disagree a little bit about the Warriors because I think that Toronto is still in that in that process of still learning one another. And, you know, you give them a whole season and, and if every, everybody can stay healthy and they, they get a little bit a little bit more chemistry and things like that. I seriously think that the Raptors could contend. I really do. And, and, and you know. It's just a matter of time before before those guys get it clicking on all cylinders. And it, it's going well right now. But like I said, just give it a whole season, and I think those guys are going to be ready. Well, I thought, uh, you know, there was a play right there. You just mentioned it, Michael, where Durant got lucky. Uh, Kawhi swiped in and got his finger on the ball like he does, and the ball hit off Durant's shin. 
and that kicked the ball forward, and Durant was able to recover, and he scored on that possession. Had that ball not kicked off his shin, it was going to come free, and Kawhi was going to pick it up and go to the other end. And the difference between winning that game in regulation and winning in overtime might have been that bounce off the shin. Uh, that's and and I and Durant had another situation where he got into Kawhi or Kawhi got into him and he fumbled the ball out of bounds and it ended up being a turnover. Um, if they played in the playoff series, <clears throat> Durant would not be allowed to handle the ball out there on Kawhi in an ISO situation like that because I think Kawhi would go at him. But of course, he doesn't have to be your ball handler because you had Steph who eventually will be healthy. I mean, is is back the next game? Hey Nick, do you think um, there was some gamesmanship being played there? by not playing Steph and that they played well and he lost and they were all happy about it was maybe a result of emotion from not having Steph. I mean, obviously he played in Detroit and relatively well two days later. He probably could have played that night. And I, I understand why they didn't bring him back, but what, I mean, I felt like there was more going into that decision. Uh, but yeah, I think the key there is, and Steve Kerr mentioned it, uh, the night before that Raptors game, uh, the Warriors actually had a practice in Toronto on Wednesday night, uh, which was comical because it was while the Maple Yeah, Leafs t- t- tell us about that. Cool. Tell us about So real quick, the Raptors have uh, – Toronto, like many big cities, has a dearth of basketball available courts, like just in downtown. So there's a university there. I think – boy, I'm going to embarrass myself not knowing Canadian cities. I think it's McGill University. Um, uh, which is in Canada. And some teams sometimes practice there, but it's a little bit out of downtown, a little bit out of where they stay. So teams, when they practice in Toronto, prefer to practice at the arena. There's a practice floor on the, it's like the fourth floor. It's in the upper deck. Um, this was a thing back in the 90s where teams built practice courts in the upper deck because I don't know if they just didn't have room underneath, but... It was a strange decision. There's a couple of court arenas out there that were built in the 90s that have these. And so um, they – and the, the Warriors, right, Nick, they um, they like to stay on West Coast time, so they practice at night, right? So tell us what happened that night. Yeah, it's it's the first team I've ever been around, B, that if they go from west to east, and this has already happened twice this year. Uh, it started with their road trip to New York. The Warriors like to practice right when they land. So the Warriors flew from Oakland to Toronto, got off the bus, and there they are at the Raptors practice court, which is inside Scotiabank Arena. <laughs> and there's a Maple Leafs game going on. So it's like the, uh, it's right before the, the Maple Leafs game starts. Here comes the Warriors team buses. Everybody's walking through. I mean, some fans saw and knew exactly who they were, and some fans were like, "What is going on?" and didn't even uh, give them a second glance. Yeah, be- glance yeah. Because real quick, uh, to, to clarify, the players have to come out of elevators and walk through the concourse. It's not even like yes. a back way to get there. Also, uh, real quick, um, I was mistaken. It is not McGill. McGill is in Montreal. It's Ryerson University is in Toronto. So please stand down. Uh, my Canadian friends. All right, go, I'm sorry. So the players have to literally walk through. Um, a, a they're part walking of the through concourse. as if they're going to, yes. to to go sit at the hockey game. That's I mean, right. that you are you're on the concourse as if you're going to go walk up to you know section 122 and go take your seat, or in this case probably 322. But either way, 
The buses pull up. Here come the players. Some fans recognize them. Some fans don't. And then there's Draymond Green who looks at the popcorn. <laughs> the, he's not. He's stand. and I will say he's not practicing right now. He's out with the. Team no, he's here. not practicing. But Draymond sees the the popcorn stand uh, with with some other snacks right next to the door that's uh, that that gets you onto the practice floor. And he stops <laughs> and he buys some popcorn and he walks in, big smile on his face. So that was a lighthearted moment uh, in, in the midst of everything else that was going on. But so to the original question about uh, where what? Kerr was in his decision-making uh, prior to Steph in that game, he flat out said, if this were a playoff game, Steph would be playing. This is November, and and this ties back in what I was saying with the, the Warriors in general. They're playing the long game. Steve Kerr, Rick Celebrini, who uh, is in charge of uh, the, the Warriors uh, sports medicine team and their performance, they know they're playing for six, seven months down the road. Uh, I did not think there was gamesmanship in that, hey, let's keep it close without Steph. It's the Raptors. I just thought Steve Kerr looked at the calendar said it was November, and they're like, eh, okay, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, he could have well, played, Well, if that's the no case, problem. then why not, why not sit him the whole road trip? I mean, my thing is he was, he was ready to come back, and they're like, you know what, let's not bring him back against Toronto. Because if he comes back against Toronto and plays poorly, and we lose, then we lose a little bit of an edge there. And nobody would be surprised if he played poorly coming back from an injury. But on the other hand, if we don't play them against Toronto and we win or we play well and lose, we always have that. Even if we lost, we always have that. Well, we didn't have, we didn't have Steph. And I think it played out exactly the way they wanted to. Preferably they would have won, but they could walk away from the game saying, we're better than that team. Yeah, they got the win, but we're better than that team. I don't know. Well, um, you know, hey, and maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm naive, B, but. I think there were two factors here. One, you're, it was a groin naive. injury. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but so it, there, there, there was a groin injury, and they knew if if he if he came back and tweaked it a little more, they were going to be like, Ugh. but two, I truly, and I've I've been around now this team six seven weeks. They're not they there there there's no fear, there's no trepidation of anyone. <laughs> I think there's fair. respect. That's a fair point. That they're in That's the NBA. Point. And and they know that there are NBA players on all these teams, but there is no fear. This team, uh, to me, it feels like they're always playing against themselves because they're the ones that uh, that can make or break whatever they're trying to do. I, I don't think there's a team that they're looking at going, oh man, you know, we we may have to worry about them later. No, it's about the Warriors. And I'd add this real quickly uh, in summation of that particular game. I've I've watched the Raptors for years and years like we all have. Kawhi being on that team gives them an edge that they have never had before. I'm going to ask uh, Michael them, about that in a second. Yeah, he gives them a confidence that that group has never had because they've never had that kind of star. I mean, they had Chris Bosh, but the pieces around him uh, weren't good enough to make the playoffs most years. Kawhi right, you have a vote on that roster it gives them a jolt. Uh, that they 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 could get to the next step, but as much as I like Demar Derozan and he's a good guy and he he did a ton for Toronto, that's all well and good. He is not close to the caliber of player that Kawhi is. Kawhi is a flat out superstar when he's healthy. Andrew, I've got a very important question for you. Oh, I do. 
<laughs> uh, that's for after the podcast, Andrew. <laughs> this is this is slightly less important. Okay. Um, are you looking for a sporty chronograph with Swiss technology at an unbeatable price? Uh, Brian, if you know anything about me, you know I'm always looking for that. Are you looking for a timepiece that brings performance and style by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic uh, you know, design? Of course. Who isn't? Naturally. So that's why you need the Tissot Chrono XL which is the official watch of the NBA. You know, when you go to every NBA game on the score, on the uh, shot clocks, on the official uh, time, it says TSO. It says TSO because the NBA trusts TSO. They are the official timekeeper of the league, and they produce some of the best watches that you can get out of Switzerland, which is saying something. And they are, if you are in the NBA and you're involved with the NBA, you know what kind of watch you wear, Andrew? You wear TSO. You know this. I know this. Our listeners know this. I don't even think we need to tell them that. You can shop Tiso at us.tisoshop.com and at select watch and jewelry stores nationwide. It's the holiday season, Andrew. You can get the NBA fan in your life or, you know, you can just get it yourself. You can say you bought it for yourself. You don't have to get it from somebody else. But if you want to, you know, get them someone a nice gift for Christmas, the Tiso team quicksters are 50% off and available only at us.tisoshop.com. That's us.tisoshop.com. We need to have a vote. Should I tell a Ricky Davis story about practicing during an event at the Hell event? yes. You don't you don't need to put a Ricky Davis to the to a vote. When Ricky Davis okay. enters the you conversation, get, let it fly. You get one vote. I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about telling old Cavs stories. I just told an, an old one last week. This is Michael, a Ricky Davis tell, story. <laughs> yes. Michael, you should, should I tell you should a story? You should absolutely Han, tell it. Andrew Hahn, should I tell a Ricky Davis story? Uh, yeah, why not? All right. So, um LeBron's first year, Ricky Davis thought that LeBron was <clears throat> brought in to help him score. He didn't understand that LeBron was going to be the franchise player. And uh, he was giving LeBron a lot of problems early in the season. So um, back then, the, uh, the Cavs practiced in their arena, also on a fourth court practice level, fourth floor practice court. And uh, there was, you know, they didn't practice at night, but they practiced on a Saturday afternoon and the circus was in town so the circus was going on and so you know there's kids and all this stuff well ricky davis pisses off coach paul silas and gets thrown out of practice not only that not even get thrown out of practice they didn't even let him go on the road trip that they had um the next game and then ultimately they traded him like within a month so ricky gets thrown out of practice and he goes over to the concession stand and buys a hot dog and there's a little sitting area um, outside the practice court where the media waited, which is now occupied by all kinds of fans eating their own um, concessions. And so we get there for practice, which is going on. You can hear the, the shoes squeaking in there. And Ricky Davis is sitting in his practice jersey out there eating a hot dog. After he's just been thrown out of practice, obviously does not care and is sitting there eating a hot dog. Now, here's the question I always had. Where did he get the money? You don't come to practice with money or a credit card in your shorts. The you locker was four stories below. You don't remember back in the day when you used to go to the boys club and hoop all day and you had your dollars in your sock 
And then but when you got done playing, it was all, you know, wet and, you know, you had you floppy vending, dollars. When you went to the vending machine? You yeah, know, you and you bought those cherries. You bought those cherries, <laughs> and then you put those in the sock, and then eventually the sock turned pink. You, don't, you remember those days? I don't. What do you mean cherries? I don't even know those what those little, are. Those little, those, those. I don't know what you call them, but they come in a bag and it, it's like a, it's a tart sourness on the outside. And then it, you know, it, it's a, it's like a gummy type thing. Oh, I didn't, we didn't have cherries. Fridell, did you have cherries where you grew up in Orlando? Uh, fun fruits. Cherries. Remember those things? I had uh, those. I used to shove I in my sweet, sock, but it, sweet tarts. It's, but it's Ricky Davis. Anything's possible. But I, yeah. I, I always remember, I, uh, speaking of my childhood, I always remember seeing, Charles Barkley at the Florida Mall. I think it was the Florida Mall. And he had a credit card. He he was he showed up to the mall in like Suns practice gear and he had a credit card in his sock. So he's bu- walking around buying all this stuff and just swiping the credit card. He didn't need anything. And and so <laughs> anything can happen, I guess. It's all possible. All right. It would have been it would have been amazing if he bought like one of those big giant things of uh, cotton candy. Well, it'll be interesting to me. Uh, we'll see what Andrew Hahn thinks if this story actually makes it on the podcast. I'll, I'll be as unaware as anybody else. Um, if it gets edited out. Uh, Michael, I felt like, uh, in that game, the Raptors were in the process of totally giving it away. How big was their lead that they had blown? Uh, do you remember, Nick? 16. Was it 16? Yeah, 16. And, you know, I've been there before, literally been in Toronto. I wasn't at this game, but watched their crowd tense up when they've given away games and leads. They've lost so many home games uh, over their years. Um, one of the things that has happened there is they've con- constantly lost game one at home. They finally broke that streak last year. Um, I wrote a big story about it Um it was a difficult assignment. I was like assigned, hey, go to Toronto and uh, do a story about how the Raptors suck in game ones. Okay, good luck. And then I had to kind of go up there and be like, hey, Kyle, you know how you guys have lost like seven straight game ones? Well, let's talk about it. And so actually they were they were good talking to Damar and Kyle about it. But they lose they, they lose big games at home. It's, it's, it's plagued them for years, and that's one of the reasons people don't always treat them seriously. And I'd seen them blow leads before, and I've seen the crowd tense up and uh, their great atmosphere wither away, and it was happening again. And a couple of experts, Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, put their foot down and said, it's not going to happen this time. And I thought Pascal Siakam did too, and Siakam doesn't have the same baggage. Um, I thought the, the two guys out there who had rings showed up. Not that that's a, in, you know, a ring game, it's a December game, but two guys we're unafraid of the moment. That's what I saw. Michael, you know, you had to see some Spurs DNA with those two guys late in that game. I absolutely did, man. And, you know, that's that's what those guys bring to the Raptors. And I think that, you know, when, when you've got guys like Danny and Kawhi in there, like I think that those are huge parts of, of building a new culture. And, you know, I mean, it's – that's part of why they've gotten off to the start that they have this season, I think. And, you know, it's funny because I was just in Charlotte last week and I was talking to James Borrego and we were talking about Tony and he was saying that, you know, Tony has winning DNA. And you always hear all these coaches talk about, you know, he knows how to win and, you know, all these, these tired old cliches. And I was like, well, what does that mean actually? 
And then he was he started telling me, he was like, look, you know, like with Tony, you know, you, you can't speed him up. You know, uh, in a tense game, he's not going to fall victim to, to the emotions of the game. He's not going to get all frenetic and freak out. You know, he's just going to do what Tony does. And it's the same thing with Kawhi. It's the same thing with Danny Green. Those guys have been in those moments like a million times. These guys have championships. And that's what I think James Borrego meant, that, you know, the moment is never too big. They know how to sort of keep their wits in the tensest of situations. And I think that's what happened. You know, I started to think the same thing. I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And, you know, like you said, those guys wouldn't wouldn't let it happen. And so, you know, I, I think that that's an underrated value that those guys bring to to the Raptors because, you know, before they didn't have that. And now Did that you? they've got it, I, I just think that it can carry them and sort of galvanize that team going, you know, into the playoff push and into the postseason. Could you um, detail for me exactly what happened with Danny Green's injury last year? That I mean, do you even remember or know? Like yeah. He, a, after the trade, he said he played. I don't know if he was. Torn, he said he, was, was he torn. misdiagnosed? Well, so what, just yes, tell me what happened. Yes, yes, he was misdiagnosed. Um, you know, he he started out playing very well, and then you know he he gets the groin injury and he's out for a while. But you have to remember that without Kawhi in the lineup, you know they were struggling a little bit. And so Danny's trying to gut it out and keep playing. And then, you know, he goes back in, you know, for the, you know, the, the, after the season, end of season meetings or whatever. And, and, you know, they do the physical and all this stuff. And it turns out that the groin is torn. And, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because did you hear about Pal Gasol? Like Gasol had no. what, yeah, Gasol had what they thought was just a sore foot or whatever. He was in a walking boot. And then he goes, he goes back and he starts practicing. And then last week on the road, Pop is like, yeah, um, you know, he started practicing. We thought we were about to bring him back. And then he got a second opinion and it turns out he's got a stress fracture in the foot. So you've got the Kawhi situation. You've got Danny Green. And now you've got Pal Gasol, all three getting misdiagnosed. Wait and a that minute. Was just, Wait a minute, Michael. I missed this story. Yeah. Totally yes. missed this story. Yes, so wait a minute. Are you saying? Week? That they cleared Pau Gasol, who, by the way, has a history of broken. He has broken his foot before. I don't know which foot he. It's the left foot. But I don't remember. Boy, I think it was his left foot. But I don't have that in front of me, so don't quote me on that. He has, and obviously his brother uh, Mark has issues with has broken feet. Um, I totally missed this story. So they cleared him to return. Like he actually practiced. He was start, yeah, he was already starting back on, on, on the court work. And the funny thing is, like, Pop mentioned it, and, like, he, he thought that the media knew about it. <laughs> he was like, hey, you guys are, he's like, you know that, you know, he came back, and then he got the second opinion, and then they, you know, revealed it was a stress fracture. You know about that, right? And we're like, uh, we do now. <laughs> you know, it was one of those kinds of situations. But, yeah, so this is three three pretty big misdiagnoses, and, and I'm – I haven't had a chance to, to talk to the right people within the organization, but I'm curious about it. I, I want to know what they think about it, because, you know, to me, that is something that could could hurt you when it comes to bringing in free agents and things like that. I mean, like, OK, I don't have all the details. so I'm going to I'm going to refrain from flipping out. But like 
That's Same okay. Here. I mean, sometimes with injuries, things are very complex. They are not cut and dry, black and white. Yep. This guy's injured. This guy's not. This is torn. This is not. You know, there, there's. It's a difficult art. I, I'm not. You know, I'm not saying I, I'm smarter than any of these guys. I'm just stunned that, you know, because Kawhi's thing basically was, I don't trust the staff, right? I mean, right. that was essentially what he was saying, and right. he was ostracized for that, uh, both within the team and outside the team. And now we have Danny, who pretty much said he was just, you know, he said he was misdiagnosed, and now this Powell thing, like, that is, I mean, like... For, Forget about perception. Like, forget about what the outside world is saying. If I'm R.C. Buford, I am ordering, and maybe he has. You know, I'm not. I don't have the information. But if I'm R.C. Buford, I am ordering a review of everything that you have in the diagnostic situation. The Spurs do not lack for resources. Not only that, within San Antonio, uh, I would have to assume that they get the best possible care there um you know it is not a small city without uh without resources so i am wow uh that is something that is i mean that's not good right (laughs) it sounds a little bulls like actually from back in the day (laughs) uh but yeah when you when you have when you have players that don't trust the staff there's there, there isn't much worse when you when you lose right. the trust sometimes, uh, especially when you're getting checked out and, and you know you're not feeling right, ay ay ay. I mean that's yeah. that's when you run into some some real big problems. Well, we see this all the time. We see guys. In fact, one of the things we see regularly, we see guys when they get surgeries, they go to their people. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I always think it's funny. A lot of times, the the team will send. It's doctor along. A lot of times the team doctors are orthopedists, a lot of orthopedic surgeons. So a player will say, all right, I'm going to get my knee done by this guy. And he flies to New York or he flies to Vail or he flies to L.A. And then the team doctor will go with him and it will say in the press release, uh, the team doctor observed the surgery. And I always think that that's funny. Like, um, uh, I, mean, well, I don't even know what that means. Like, they're, I guess they're in the room, but they're like, I don't know about that stitch. Uh, what do you think about? I mean, obviously, it's just, <laughs> it's just interesting. Like, they're just making sure everything. I don't, I don't understand that in the medical community. But um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Michael. No, no, but I think, I think with the Spurs, though, you have to sort of put it in proper perspective because you know over the last 20 years or whatever. They've been one of the, the, the teams that had the fewest lost games to injury. So That's why they've I'm been right, right. So they've been at the forefront of recovery and things like that. Like when Tony suffered that uh torn quad tendon, when he was going through the rehab process, they had three three staffers with Tony at all times. And I'm talking about when the guy was in France, the guy went on vacation. Went on vacation, he's on a yacht. And he's got three Spurs staffers on the yacht with him, making sure he he's doing his rehab. He goes to vacation in China. I, I don't <laughs> know, man. But he go but he goes to China on vacation. He's hiking, you know, around the Great Wall of China, and the Spurs medical people are with him that whole time. 
So they spare no expense when it when it comes right. to th- that whole process. So you know it's it's a little surprising to to hear about another mis you know misdiagnosis situation, and yeah, that's not, something I'm I plan saying, on talking to. Yeah, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's incompetence. I'm just saying they need to review this. Oh, for sure. You know, once is whatever, twice is whatever, three times a trend, right? I mean, um, and I and I you know I think one of the things that uh, we see. I mean, I'll just, I, I remember, I can't remember when Duncan first hurt his knee, but when Duncan, well, I'm going to say it was circa 2000. Well, he has, he had a knee issue really early in his career, but he hurt his knee late in the season one year. And the fact and they that they were able to, yeah, yeah. And they, the, they were able to, they were able to squeeze every last drop out of Tim Duncan. I mean, the guy's knee was so messed up that his, like he walked with like a crooked foot. You know, his foot got like crooked as his career went on. Um, and they were able to protect him and extend his career. And his second to last season, he was all NBA at like age 37, 38, whatever it was. Um, the way they were able to extend his career is one of the great, you know, to, to elongate that window and get five championships and six final strips, I think it was. Um, and, and where they were able to rebuild the team around him. I mean, basically I'm saying, obviously everybody knows the history of the Spurs, but you know, this is, this is not an organization that does not turn over every rock. So that's why it's, um, it's a surprise. You know, there's like, you see stuff happen with players and, and teams are purposely being opaque and, you know, the player needs to be protected for a certain, you know, you know, they, they have every right to protect their medical information, but you wonder, you know, Teams are so used, to, you know, we're so used to teams giving misleading information that there's just, there's little trust. So let me just say something about the Pacers right now, Victor Oladipo. So they say, you know, he's got a sore knee. That's what they term it. Um, you know, they make it sound like it's no big deal. He's just out resting. You know, he didn't get Never good. Never right, good. You, know, you hear sore knee. Uh-oh. Yeah. Right, but they're like, you know, no MRI, you know, you know, every, you know, everything's, you know, so he misses one game, he misses two games, misses three games, you know, hey, what's the update on Victor? Yeah, he's not back. And all of a sudden, he's out indefinitely. Uh, we don't know, you know, what the situation is. Now, I don't know, I have no inside information on what's going on there, but it's worrisome for about five different reasons. And one of the reasons it's worrisome is because they're downplaying it at the start. Now, because they're being opaque, we don't know whether or not they knew it was bad from the start and were covering it. They misunderstood it from the start and didn't understand how bad it was, or that they uh, thought that it would recover and it didn't, and they're just being 100% honest. We, we you know, Because there's a history of teams not being you know truthful with injuries, and in fact, it's getting even more opaque with teams as uh, it's going on. Now, a lot of times, teams will not announce timelines for players coming back from injuries, which I understand because if you say a guy's going to be back in you know two to four weeks and the guy gets to four weeks and he's not back, you say, has there been a setback? Because everybody heals differently and, and different injuries mean different things to different people. So I get when somebody just says, oh, he's day-to-day and the guy's out six weeks. Well, he's still day-to-day. I mean, I can understand it. But we're coming into a time now where the NBA is jumping into the deep end of the pool and swimming on its back and spitting water in the air with glee into gambling 
uh, making all these deals with all this stuff. And, you know, if you're going to do that and you want uh, people to take your, um, to take your sport, uh, seriously enough to be able to put a lot of bets on it, you know, they're going to have to increase their transparency. If you look at the way the NFL handles injuries, you look at the way the NBA handles injuries, they're massively, massively, massively different. And, um, uh, you know, I know we're going a little bit around the corner here because ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they say. What it matters, what they do is how they treat the players. But I think it kind of in a way is related. I just I go back to the fact that, that – and there's really not a doubt in my mind in the last couple years. My man Tibbs and the Bulls, the reason and, – and the gambling absolutely is a huge part of it, but the reason the, the rules have changed in how you have to announce where players are at uh, and how there has to be more of a, a timeline around it is because Derrick Rose was day-to-day for like a year. Tibbs called Derek day to day the entire season and he never played. And I've always thought that the league didn't like the, the PR pushback and, and the questions from fans because they couldn't, they, they couldn't put a timeline. They couldn't just say, Hey, this is what's going on. <laughs> this is what's happening. So uh, I think it's an interesting discussion on top of the, the tie-ins with, uh, all these different places the gambling places and in the money that's coming into the league I think there's there has to be a better way for the league to try and address it and I think they've tried in the last year uh, to be more upfront with where guys are uh, and sometimes you can't give that answer but sometimes you have to be more aggressive in in trying to seek that answer out well in the NFL there's practice what Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday there's four days worth of practices most weeks um and uh, after every practice, they have to say uh, whether what a guy did in practice. Now, the, the Patriots have played with this. They had, like, Tom Brady listed as questionable every day. I can't remember what the injury was. I don't know if it was his knee or whatever. And they just they put him questionable every day, you know. And so they can go around and they can play with it that way. But NBA teams, as, as uh, you mentioned, Michael, with the Spurs, the Spurs went almost a month between practices. NBA teams don't practice very often, so you can't go in that route. So, so the question has been asked: How do you in the NBA? How do you, and especially since the NBA players' availability means more than NFL players' availability? You know, certainly if your quarterback is out, it's huge. But you know, if if the starting right guard is you know ruled inactive on game day when he was you know questionable, that's a factor. But it's not like losing your starting power forward. So there's been a lot of talk about this in reference to the gambling. Like, you know, what do you do to help make the, you know, the stuff, the stuff more happen? You know, and I'll tell you one thing. I, in the last year since gambling has been legalized, my friends, people or people I know asking me about availability of players has increased tenfold. Where a friend of mine will say, Hey, is so and so playing tonight? I'm like, I don't know. I don't cover that team. You know, they said he's questionable. What do you want me to say? But, like, like there's no doubt the interest is up in that. So the only thing I could think of that, you know, teams, you know, they can't use the same practice participation they do in the NFL is anytime a player has imaging, whether it's an X-ray, an MRI, I think the league should have to announce it. They don't necessarily have to announce whether or not a player, you know, whether it's negative or whatever. But I think if a player has imaging, and that's something that is 
There's no gray area there. <laughs> Did the guy get in the, in the MRI machine or have an x-ray taken? I think if, I, I think they, um, that's one thing that you could do. So that, so if a, so if a player's got a sore foot, um, you don't have to announce what the MRI necessarily said, but you gotta say player X had an MRI on his left foot. You know, is day to day. Um, and so that I think that, you know, cause you know, they do announce MRIs a, a lot, but I think it's typically when we see injuries happen. Like we'll see a guy go down and then we'll ask after the game, well, how's his injury? Oh, he's going to have an MRI tomorrow. I'm not saying that they hide it, but there are, there are a lot of guys who hide injuries. And this comes back to the finals with LeBron James. This is, this is brought up to me by uh, gamblers uh, as I've worked on gambling stories over the last year. LeBron punches the blackboard after game one. Um, game one, as you remember, was incredibly competitive all the way down to overtime. J.R. Smith, uh, George Hill, missed free throw, etc. LeBron has an, a breathtaking night. The next three games, LeBron plays well, but not great. And it turns out he's had x-rays, and, and I'm pretty sure he had multiple MRIs on his hand. They were able to keep it quiet until after game four. Um, uh, like, that's a situation, and, and LeBron doesn't play as well, and, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the Warriors end up going away. So you say, well, if, so if you're the, if you're the Cavs, you're like, well, listen, we can't give away the fact that our star player has a sore hand, because then, um, you know, the Warriors will slap at his hand or try to take advantage of it. There's no way we're going to announce that. We kept it secret for a reason. But here's the issue with gambling. Obviously, some people are going to know that LeBron's hand is sore, and that gives them an advantage where they can make wagers. The same thing happens with the, with Wall Street. There's certain laws that are in effect. Now, granted, they are violated all the time, and these would be too, but there are certain laws in effect about insider trading and insider information. And so that's why there's going to be this pressure to say, if LeBron James is getting MRIs on his hand during the finals, you have to announce it so that everybody has the same information so that you can't have... Um, you can't have this private information. And, you know, the general manager or the coach is going to say, we're not going to do that. Well, guess what? They're making deals with casino companies like by the week. So if you're going to be in bed with the casinos and encourage gambling and present gambling to your fans and say that this is legitimate enough fans, you should do this, you should gamble, you should, you know, seek with our partners, then you have to do it both ends of the spectrum. And that is a that is where we're headed. We're headed towards that issue in the NBA when this becomes more ubiquitous, especially if there's a a federal framework, and that's what they're working on right now. Um, that's you know, maybe, uh, that's ahead, what grinds I'm, Brian's gears. Clearly, <laughs> I'm I'm fil- this Andrew coming in saying enough. You're filibustering. Well, but, I have I have something that I do want breaking to breaking news. Uh, Mr. Ferdell. Yes. Uh, Fred Hoiberg has just been fired, and Jim Boylan has been promoted to head coach. Uh, not a not a surprise in any way. None. I was wondering why, in the midst of of us talking and and, and Brian going through uh, the issues with the, you know the league discussing injuries or, or revealing things, that my phone just exploded. <laughs> I got all these people calling me and texting me. I'm like, what is happening? So there you go. We need you on the show. We need you on the show. Black is yeah. Black is texting you. 
There you go. <laughs> well, uh, why now, Nick? They because, didn't play last night. Because they didn't they didn't believe that Fred was the guy moving forward, so just do it now. That's Yeah, the but answer. they've known that for a while. Exactly. So they, they wanted to they wanted to clear it out now. I mean this is this is the beginning of uh, a a new a new stretch uh, for where the Bulls are at. But I I mean in this moment in this moment I keep thinking back to Gar Foreman wholeheartedly for years, years, long before Fred even took this Bulls job, believed that Fred Hoiberg was going to come in and transform the Bulls and was going to get them into the pace and space offense and was going to get them to the next level that the Tibbs couldn't get them to as a, a championship team. I mean, when Fred was hired, the Bulls, Gar, Pax, they believed that this team just needed an extra boost and they could win a championship. And if you'll recall, guys, in that first year of Hoiberg, they didn't make the playoffs. And four years later, I never felt like Fred found his footing within that locker room. I never felt like uh, the guys uh, kind of were all on the same page all the time. He's an extremely nice man, Fred Hoiberg, extremely nice. I just don't think he had the demeanor in that situation uh, to to be successful. Now, you're going to have people like Fred and plenty of his supporters that say he was never given the roster needed to run the style that he wanted to run. Okay, but the other part for any pro coach is to try and succeed the best you can with the pieces you've been given. And the Bulls never really had success. I mean, they made uh, a run. They got up 2-0 on Boston a couple years ago with Wade and Rondo. Uh, but that that team was a mess internally. I mean, it was just a mess. So, But when they uh, hired him, wasn't there like this feel that, you know, Steve Kerr, with you know, this was Steve Kerr two point B. Right, the Bulls he, front he worked, office when they exactly when they hired Fred, they thought they were hiring Steve Kerr two point flatly because he because he had been a player. Then he worked in a front office. You know, Steve worked with the Suns, Hoiberg worked with the with the uh, Wolves, and then Kerr had no front off, no head coaching experience. Uh, Hoiberg actually had produced. Um, you know, great teams at Iowa State. So wasn't this like, boy, go find me the next Steve Kerr. Here we do. Here we go. That is exactly what it was. I mean, the Bulls front office privately believed that when they hired Fred, they hired Steve Kerr 2.0. That was when Steve had started to have the success. But in the end, again, as important as coaches are, and they are very, very important, you have to have players to win. And the flaw, the biggest flaw to me as we're going through the Fred Hoiberg era now, is that when Gar sat up there at that press conference, he sold Fred as the game-changing piece. He sold Fred as the offensive guru who is going to be able to do the things for this group offensively. And again, you got to remember, this is still, this was the Tibbs core team. This was Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah. Uh, and Jimmy Butler still coming into his own, and and Pau Gasol was on that first year team, and and the 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 me- the mess up wasn't just that Fred didn't work as the coach, the mess up for the Bulls was they sold Fred Hoiberg as the guy who was going to get him up and down the floor and be this new age coach, 
And and I cannot stress enough moving forward for any team uh, that that is looking at this and going, well, why didn't this work? It didn't work because the Bulls didn't have the right players and they didn't have enough talented players. But well, they've been rebuilding. Why, I mean, you know, with all right, due right, respect, but I, to I'm that. just saying that this is why this is why PR when you make these coaching hires. And the messaging that you want to get across is so hugely important because Gar and the Bulls sat up there when they hired Fred and they thought, here's Steve Kerr 2.0. This guy is going to get us there and you're going to see a totally different team uh, once this group hits the floor, even though it was pretty much the same group of players. And that was not the case. I, so you're trying okay. to live up to this this big status that you can't. You're writing checks that, that that you can't cash. Nobody knows the Bulls better than you. I'm just going to say what my perspective on it was. They hired him with the team thinking that they were ready made to contend. It no, didn't they work. Be. Now, you got to remember, it wasn't just contend. They, the, Gar and Pax, when they hired Fred, thought that this team could still win a title. Flat. Okay, I agree. Okay, then they decided that team wasn't good enough. They traded Derrick Rose. They let Joe Kim Noah walk. Uh, then they traded uh, Jimmy Butler, essentially triggering a rebuild. And they probably should have changed the coach at that point. But they don't like to pay coaches out who don't coach. So even though they're a wildly profitable organization, they are definitely, in terms of spending, they are one of the more frugal organizations in the league. Do you think it's a possibility they were just like, all right, Fred, we hired you for, a, I think it was a five-year contract. They had to pay him really, really well. I don't remember the exact terms, mil. but he was he was very successful at Iowa State to get him out of that job. It was a five-year deal, right? Um, I think they may have just said to Fred, hey, um, I know you came here thinking you're going to try to compete for a title. Guess what? We're going to rebuild now. Now you need to coach a rebuilding team. And maybe what they should have done when they switched gears was to switch coaches and they may have you know a they may have thought we're not paying this guy out we're going to make him do the job or b maybe they just thought okay he can coach that way too but the team that they gave him the last couple years wasn't the team he was hired to coach and um you know he doesn't command the same level of respect and that other coaches sometimes do and i think you saw you know that i mean i mean maybe this was just i mean i'll just ask you what you made of this nick that moment last week where it was the last second shot and he had called, obviously, in the timeout, he had called for Wendell Carter to come up and set a But there was no exactly. timeout. They didn't call timeout. Okay. I think that's one of the things that was so upsetting to uh, to people within the Bulls organization, <laughs> that Fred had a couple did timeouts he, did, that he didn't use them. Right. So the play is, I can't remember who they're playing. Remember who they're playing? They were playing San Antonio, actually. Michael, do you remember that game? It was a one-point uh, game, right? Yeah, and I was actually in Charlotte, so I didn't see it. Okay, okay that's right. You were on assignment. We'll talk about that later. So it's a one-point game. That, that's right. The, the, the Spurs had control of the game, and then they like almost gave it up. It's a one-point game. Zach Levine's at the top of the key. Fred Hoiberg is yelling for Carter to come up and set a screen, to set a pick-and-roll up, and Zach Levine waves him off twice. Right, yep. Hoiberg is yelling. Comes at the screen. the the poor The poor rookie doesn't know what to do. Should he listen to Zach Levine, the highest paid player, or should he listen to 
um, to listen to his coach to come set the screen. Ultimately, he doesn't set the screen. Zach gets his shot off. It was a bad shot. I think they're down one. He ends up taking a three. He misses it badly. I don't even know. Did it hit, it hit like this backboard? And, you know, I don't want to make too much of one play, but isn't that kind of a Fred Hoiberg issue that he doesn't command the same respect, Nick? It's it's the same issue that Fred's had in Chicago for four years, B. Uh, he, he didn't have that presence within that locker room internally. It, 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 I just That is what it is, and, it, and it's what it's been all along. I mean, I, I, I go back, I'm thinking through all these different things now. I, I listened to Fred's opening press conference, and I really, I honestly, I felt bad for him because I did not think he understood exactly what he was getting into. Uh, and the biggest disservice I think the Bulls did to for, for Fred on top of how they sold him when he came in was, you know, you're saying, Gar, again, this goes back to Gar. He's, he says, all right, we're going to get younger and more athletic. After that first year, they didn't make the postseason. We're going to get younger and more athletic. They're, they were either going to trade Jimmy Butler or they like were going to Like a hugely disappointing him. year. Didn't they just blow a dozen close games? Like it was just. Oh, a, yeah. They couldn't really win just, a close game. Yeah. They, they, they started out really well, and then just which doesn't just which doesn't bode terrible. Which, when, when you lose a bunch of close games, it, it reflects on the coach. Fair, no, enough. no question, yep. no yep. question. Uh, but so you get through this whole situation, and, and Gar goes, you know, we want to get younger and more athletic. And then a couple days later, they sign Rondo, and a couple days after that, they sign Dwayne Wade. And for That's the right. life of me, I still can't figure out why they went that direction. Uh, in that moment, and I really think they did Fred Hoiberg a huge disservice because Rondo and Wade uh, for the the pace and space offense and running up and down the floor, I and then, I, there and then were they a were lot of missteps. Yeah. I, and then they I, were I oil they, and water, right? It, exactly. Rondo, and and I, yeah. I'd add one more key thing here. In the very beginning, Gar and Fred were extremely tight. I mean, let's remember that. I believe right. Gar bought Fred's house in the suburbs uh, when Fred went to the Timberwolves and, and Gar and his family. I, do were do you want to sell a house to somebody that you know really well? Because then every time a screw falls out of the wall, right? You then then, then you got somebody to but call. Even still. Like, Come on, what are you doing? They right. were extremely, extremely close, and I think in the yeah. last couple of years, especially, that relationship really started to deteriorate. In uh, in Fred. Uh, you know, just understood that he didn't have the backing that he used to have, and I I think he saw the writing. Well, on also the wall Gar long Gar, before this. Gar Gar lost some power over the last couple of years. Jim Paxson took some power back right before last year, so that also John Paxson. I, yeah, I'm sorry, John Paxson. And, and Jim uh, Paxson is within the organization, absolutely. I, I but, know. Well, I've just known. But, I've known Jim longer than John, and I always make right, mistakes. Right, right. Yes, but but yeah, um, there, there's no question. I mean, all the all. All that was sold to Fred, and this is why. Again, if you're if you're Fred Hoiberg or you're somebody who supports Fred Hoiberg, you will always look back and say, "Hey, I wasn't given the chance to to do what well, I wanted to do." I'd be I'd be upset right now if I was Fred Hoiberg because I was like, Laurie Markkinen has just come back. He's played one game. <laughs> uh, I think it's one game. Maybe he's played two. I thought I think he's just yeah. Played he played one. on Saturday. So I finally have you know the team that I have who I think maybe it would. Do some stuff, um, you know, Markkinen, Carter, and, and Zach Levine. Um, maybe they fired him now because they thought they were going to maybe go on a little bit of an upswing and it would have been harder to fire him. But we have to go. Um, 
thank you, Nick. Uh, thank you, Michael. I know you guys have uh, busy days. Thank you, Andrew Hahn. Uh, and thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective. We'll be talking more about the Bulls later in the week.